Welcome. This is a new episode of uh, the Digital Business Models podcast by 4Week MBA. In this session, we're going to cover an interesting story and I'm going to interview Jimmy Sony, author and speechwriter. Jimmy Sony is an American author and former managing director of the Huffington Post. He's best known for A Mind at Play, which is an award-winning biography of Claude Shannon, known as the father of information theory. But for this particular session, we're going to go through a topic which I'm very, very passionate about, which is the story of PayPal. Indeed, Jimmy is publishing an incredible book called The Founders, the story of PayPal and the entrepreneurs who shaped Silicon Valley. The amount of research Jimmy has devoted to this book, it took him five years to complete, is incredible. The stories inside are incredible. And this is one of the most incredible uh, stories that we have on the internet era because PayPal actually shaped the whole business playbook for many startups in the years to come and still today. So let's get to it. Thanks for uh, joining the, this conversation, uh, um, Jimmy. It was uh, it's a pleasure to me because uh, you wrote an incredible book called The Founders, where you actually tell the story of uh, the, the PayPal founders and also the people behind uh, PayPal. So thanks a lot for joining this conversation. Well, thank you for having me and for taking the and for the kind words and also for taking the time to to read the book. It uh, you know it's funny the book is longer than I thought it would be, and I think some of my readers have said. You know, it's taken them a little while, so I appreciate you you taking a look at an early copy and spending some time reading it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I thank you because it was uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, I'm uh, you know really uh, honored to have had the chance to look at uh, the initial manuscript before the the launch. It's an incredible research. Uh, you've done an incredible work. Uh, the story, it's so incredible. And uh, I want to start from here. Because, of course, I know because I, I already read the manuscript why uh, you were drawn to, to tell the people story. But let me ask you, what drew uh, actually you to cover a story of a company that, yes, defined the Internet business playbook, but it was a company that was launched uh, more than 20 years ago? Yeah, it's, you know, I came at this in a little bit of an accidental way, uh, as, as my projects tend to, tend to go. I had finished up a book on a mathematician and electrical engineer named Claude Shannon. And Claude Shannon had worked at Bell Laboratories in the 20th century. And Bell Labs was just the most extraordinary collection of of talented people. And they had invented the transistor. They had won multiple Nobel prizes. They invented the laser. They invented touch tone dialing. And I started to think about, and honestly just go down like Wikipedia rabbit holes of, you know, what are other places like this? Not individual talents, but clusters, groups of talented people. And I looked at Fairchild Semiconductor, which is a famous example. I looked at Xerox Park, another example. General Magic stood out in history. And, you know, someone had done either great books or great documentaries on those three subjects. And so I fast forwarded in the history. And, you know, the late 1990s in Silicon Valley is just, you know, the place is on fire. There's so much happening. There's so much money, so much ambition. And in that particular environment, you find this company created called PayPal. And PayPal turns out to be the kind of finishing school for this whole generation of entrepreneurs. 
Some are obviously household names, people like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman. And, but there's a whole cast of characters there that you know maybe don't make the front pages of the headlines, but learned a lot from their time there. And I, I honestly, you know, I went into it kind of just not really knowing what I was doing in the sense that I just figured, oh, okay, there's probably a book on this. And then when I discovered that there should have needed to be more work done, I just started contacting people. And, you know, before long, I discovered that there really was something that happened at PayPal in the late 1990s and early 2000s, and that the story deserved to be told. But that's how I came to it. Wow, uh, interesting uh, parallel with the, with the Bell uh, Laboratories and the, 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 let's say a company where interesting people came out. And as you said, uh, uh, yes, Elon Musk, I think it's uh, its name that uh, everyone recognizes today. Of course, like names like Thiel and also Reid Hoffman, they are known in the business world. I'm not sure really if they are known outside that. Like I wouldn't say that my mom knows who like Thiel, right. or, Thiel or Hoffman are, but those are people that define uh, really the internet. Uh, as we know it. So let's get to a little bit of background of uh, the stories, of course, of uh, some of the people that uh, created PayPal. And in the book, uh, it's such an interesting account because um, it's not just about the stories of, uh, as you said, uh, the, the main founders like Thiel, uh, Levchin, and uh, Musk on the other side, but uh, it, it is also the story of many other people, as we'll see. But what's the background? How did those people get there? Like, for instance, if we start from the main co-founders, so on the one side, like uh, Peter Thiel and Levchin, and then on the other side, Musk, how did they get to, to PayPal? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's the, what I found to be some of the most interesting parts of the story. And I think part of the reason is it's very easy to look at these people today and assume that they were destined for success. Um, so just the, the very quick version of it or the you know, medium-sized version of it is on, on one side of, of this story, you have a young engineer who is fresh out of the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. His name is Max Levchin and he arrives in Silicon Valley and through a series of events, he meets this young investor named Peter Thiel. And Peter has been looking to invest in internet businesses. Max has an idea for what would be his next business. And he, they get together and develop a friendship and Peter makes a decision to invest in Max. And eventually Peter becomes the CEO of that very tiny company with a few other co-founders who play pivotal roles as well. Ken Howery, Luke Nosick, Yupan, and Russ Simmons. So that's a group of six that's on sort of one side of this. And their initial idea is that they're going to make it possible for people to beam money between Palm Pilots. And so for those listeners of a certain age, they'll know that, you know, Palm Pilots are maybe like the distant ancestors of your iPhones. And they were handheld devices that were very popular in the mid-1990s. And they had introduced an infrared port as one, as one update in the latest series of Palm Pilots. And Max Levchin's you know, idea was we can do cryptographically secure transactions between this. So if I'm sitting at lunch with you and I wanna send you $10, how cool would it be if I could do that through the infrared port on my Palm Pilot? Um, that was kind of one part of the, the origin story. The other side of the origin story, which has really never really gotten truly, I think explored is Elon Musk had successfully built and then sold a company called Zip2. And he was thinking about what would come next for him. And from his days as an intern at a bank in Canada, 
he had thought a lot about how the financial system was running on old technology and that there were unnecessary fees, unnecessary bloat, middleman bureaucracy within that financial system. And he thought, well, look, the internet is fundamentally reducing a lot of that in other industries. It should do so in finance. So he built and found three co-founders for a site that was x.com. And mm -hmm. x.com was going to be a revolution in finance, banking, insurance, mortgages. It was going to do everything. At one point, I had employees tell me, you know, he would say, you know, we're going we're gonna to take over the, we're going to be the Federal Reserve. We're going to be the world's financial system, right? Wow. Um, so it was vast, vast ambitions, certainly different from me beaming money. But those were the two predecessor companies of the company that becomes PayPal. Yeah, interesting. And as we see uh, those uh, two companies, for, for a bit of context, those two companies saw on one side, uh, Confinity, which was, uh, as we said, founded by uh, Peter Thiel, who had met this uh, you know, brilliant guy, Max Levchin, which was the, the, the technical guy. Um, they founded Confinity on the one side and then Musk on the other side who had founded uh, X.com. As, uh, as a side note, uh, in, the, in the podcast series, uh, I also interviewed uh, Jerry Campbell, who was uh, uh, in charge of product management uh, back in the days in the 90s of uh, Compaq. And uh, Compaq was the company who actually bought Zip2. Uh, and uh, for, for 21 million. That was the first uh, cash infusion that gave Musk the ability to start uh, his next company, which would turn into, into PayPal. And interesting enough, uh, Zip2 would play also an important role in Compaq strategy as Compaq uh, also brought, bought uh, a search engine at the time called Alta Vista because uh, Zip2 uh, built out uh, local directories. So it was a uh, a key tool to have in this expansion strategy of the internet at the time. So you see how many uh, interesting things out, you know, uh, they, they cross each other. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. it's an interesting it's interesting that you mentioned that, and I'm glad you're mentioning this part of the history because, you know, one of the reasons one of the reasons I wrote this book is, I had thought, okay, you know, it's it's fantastic to get all this press attention for the different things that these people do today, like electric cars and rockets, you know, but what if we went back and really asked them about the, the sort of most boring or perhaps most formative and interesting period in their lives, which is their first series of startups. And Zip2 was hugely important in, in Elon's life. And I think what's underestimated and undercovered is the fact that Zip2 broke a lot of technological boundaries, you know? So when they were doing the things they were doing with maps, like these are all predecessors of things like Google Maps and Yelp. And there was a lot of technology built at Zip2 that uh, was really innovative for its time. It was some of the first application of Java, which had just launched. And so I think, you know, I don't know that Elon ever actually gets enough credit for uh, the, the vision and the engineering, especially in the early days of Zip2, which he started with his brother and a, and a co-founder named Greg Corey. You know, they were really doing remarkable stuff. So I'm glad you mentioned it because I think it's the easiest thing to overlook. People don't tend to they, they tend to kind of focus, you know, on what's going on in 2022. But back in the mid-1990s, when Elon was basically fresh out of, of college, um, you know, he built Zip2 into, into something really remarkable, what one person labeled at the time like a mini Microsoft, right? And so I just, I'm glad that you, you're mentioning it because it is a part of the past that we, we tend to overlook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, how did it go then? Because uh, the story of... Uh... You know what would become later on PayPal. It's so interesting because it, it goes 
through so many uh, turns of events that uh, uh, probably it's very hard to to uh, again to uh, leave them a second time so um, how, what happened uh, next like when those um, companies got started out um, how did they evolve because uh, they uh, you know for, for a bit of context uh, confinity on the one side and x.com on the other side they were first enabled but they were doing something completely different as you already in part uh, highlighted yeah, it's you know it's it's the it's one of the central and most interesting parts of this story is let's say the period in 1999 and very early 2000 when both of these companies get going, and the kind of abbreviated version is, Confinity launches its product, which is called PayPal, with the idea that you and I are going to become you know we're going to move all our money and all our transactions over to Palm Pilots and we're just going to be beaming each other money left and right. They build an email backup product, and it turns out that the email backup product takes off. X.com has this other vision, which is we're going to be the place where you put all your money into everything financial. But for it too, the product that is most successful is this emailing money from person to person product. And so it's interesting because in both cases, no one expects that the breakthrough product is this emailing money thing, because on both sides, I think there's a certain amount of well, that's so simple. Like it's so much more interesting to do a financial services superstore. It's so much technologically interesting to do Palm Pilot money beaming, but both of them end up actually like having this email money product take off. And part of the reason is that it takes off in a place where that service is needed and that's eBay. And mm -hmm. so eBay at the time had grown into a public company. It was the world's largest digital auction house. Uh, and, and, for all of that success, it actually hadn't rationalized how auction buyers and sellers would pay for goods and services. So if I bought something from you, I, I still had my choice of how I was going to pay you. And people were still paying through checks and money orders and these very high friction systems. In, enter you know, PayPal and X.com's email money offering. And all of a sudden, I've got a way to pay you that's very, very quick. So they find that their user growth explodes on this platform that they hadn't, where they hadn't really anticipated their growth. And that begins a race to see who's going to win there with this seed group of buyers and sellers on eBay who have decided to embrace these two services. And it's a foot race. The early part of 2000 is this insane battle between these two companies that leads obviously to some moments of real, you know, real humor and, and intensity. Um, but it also it also paves the way for them to become one company. Yeah, and this is uh, such an interesting point to, to emphasize uh, because as, as, as you said, like uh, those companies uh, stumbled upon a use case which turned out to be like a killer commercial use case. And also the two uh, completely different philosophies. On the one side, you had a more technical, practical approach of Confinity with the, with the Thiel and of course uh, uh, Lepchin was uh, way more technical, who looked at the Pan Pilot as the main application for, uh, uh, for Confinity. And on the other side, you had the visionary approach of Musk that nonetheless he wanted to change the whole financial system. In reality, he figured also that uh, X.com was uh, getting used a lot thanks to the email feature uh, on, on top of eBay. So the interesting part is that both uh, you know, those companies eventually converged into um, the, the commercial viability 
which was the, the, the possibility to pay through email. But those, the com those companies had to acknowledge that actually this was the main uh, commercial, uh, co killer commercial, commercial use case. And it's interesting because, as you also point out uh, in the book, like years uh, after that, uh, for instance, Levchin was still looking at uh, the Palm Pilot, uh, which was a, was a successful device in the late 90s, but definitely didn't get the traction that uh, you know it was supposed to. And um, you know, Levchin was still looking at the Palm Pilot as the the, the core application. Uh, you know, this sort of purist view of the technological world where, you know, you had to be on this technological platform rather than an auction website like eBay, uh, that uh, for how much traction it was getting, it was not as interesting as the founders uh, thought. And then on the other side, also Musk acknowledging that, uh, again, this was the most important application they were supposed to, to actually uh, go for it. So, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, evolution there. How did uh, the companies that... Uh, ended up from you know, becoming successful, at least uh, successful is, is probably a big word because they, they were struggling uh, all along. But how did uh, they go from uh, being companies that were uh, simply neighbored to then uh, merging together? Yeah, it's, you, know, you made such great points. And I, I do wanna emphasize a couple of things that you said just in your meditation on the the, their early success. There's sort of two things. One is just the humor of, um, you know, at one point, Max Levchin actually tries to block eBay IP addresses and, and the use of the PayPal product on eBay because he is so horrified by the idea that his technological marvel is going to be used on this, this auction website that he doesn't really think very much of at the time. Um, and on the other side of it, you know, Elon has a very big vision for what finance could be. And in some ways, you know, he's, he's sort of 20 years ahead of his time. We see a lot of the things and ideas that he was talking about coming into being today. And so you do have this sort of funny thing of these people are both, they're, they're, they're so technologically ahead of the curve, but they can't miss the clear evidence of fast user growth in this very obscure place or what they think of as an obscure place on the internet which is auction buying and selling, right? Um, and so th that's the funny part of it. I think the more, the more interesting part or the lesson that I think people could take is, you know, you shouldn't sort of mess with success and you shouldn't ignore success, right? Meaning like it, it could have gone very differently had Lebchin pursued this, like we're not doing this eBay thing. We're sticking with mobile encryption and security. Or if Elon had said, yeah, that eBay payment, the person to person payment thing is nice, but we really got to focus on these other other tools and options. And, and it is interesting that, you know, I think one of the descriptions that I had from David Sachs was, it was the product that ate the company, right? It was this, this email money afterthought product that actually became the product that we all know and use today. Uh, and it changed everything from what the company was focused on to the company's name. Because if you remember, the names of these companies are actually Confinity and X.com. And PayPal is a product that Confinity created. And 20 years later, it's the product that's left standing. You asked a question about how they came together. Yeah. There's a whole series of kind of complicated wheeling and dealing, but the basic facts are at some point, there's a recognition on both sides that the only true competitor in town is the person that's just up the road on University Avenue. So X.com's CEO at the time recognizes like, look, we are spending ourselves dry trying to beat these infinity guys on eBay. And it's not good. This is going to end. This isn't going to end well for anybody. And then the folks at Confinity say, 
you know, this X.com group has a seasoned entrepreneur, much bigger brand name. They're moving just as fast as we are, and we're going to lose because they have more money. Both companies are also trying to raise financing rounds in early 2000 at a time when the early signals of the market decline are starting. You're starting to see them. There's little wisps of concern that the tech bubble may be a, a bubble. And mm. both of these companies, leaders, you know, these are massive people, big personalities, lots of IQ points. But by hook and crook, they actually merge the two companies and close a joint round, a joint $100 million round of financing just before the markets start to collapse. And there's not a lot of like, I mean, it happens so fast. Like they, what I just described happens in the space of 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks, roughly, that, that these two former competitors now have to become one happy family. And it's a very, very tense, very hard period where everyone is working around the clock to continue to service the user growth. But they become one company. And as of, I think the official announcement was in late March, March 30th. Uh, as of March 30th, they are united as one fast-growing payments company. Yeah. And there is one, uh, um, I think, uh, event that also made the company merge eventually. Uh, and it's interesting also to, to probably recount it a little bit uh, on uh, how the deal eventually closed. Um, be, between the, the two companies. But mainly, as you said, it's, uh, it was critical to close it at the time because uh, without that uh, runaway on money, most probably we wouldn't have uh, any PayPal today because the, the, they would have uh, you know, finished uh, up the, the liquidity to, to run the, the business. So it was timing, it was uh, extremely, extremely important. But what happened next? I mean, um, uh, how did the merge eventually closed uh, between the companies? And uh, was there like a cultural clash? Uh, what happened next? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a really dramatic six months in these people's lives. And whenever I would interview anyone, you know, the year 2000 was this year that for a lot of these people was like the law, they had to measure it in dog years. It was like the longest year that they could remember. And they worked round the clock under a lot of pressure. Um, as you can imagine, you have these two competitors, they've built two separate companies and now they're expected to be one company. But we're not talking about a, a group of seasoned leaders who are really thoughtfully applying a year's worth of M&A analysis to figure out what the synergies are. This is, this is legitimately like a merger that is done in the space of two to three months. And it's not that people weren't thoughtful about the upside. It's just, it's really hard to manage that, particularly when the company is growing by tens of thousands of users every day. So the companies merge. And the, the, there's a few different things that happen. There's confusion around who's going to be in charge, and that leads to some things. There's confusion around what are we trying to do? Like, what is the vision for the company? And there's some, some debates around that. There's, there's confusions around what the company is going to be called, and there's some debates around that. But, but the long and short of it is that three-month or four-month period from, uh, let's say, late March through the, the beginning of the fall is a really... It's a really intense time for the company because the PayPal we know today really comes into being during that period. Um, there are tools and products created that PayPal users use to this day that are born in the summer of 2000. Um, Musk becomes CEO in the summer of 2000. And the company also grows to a significant scale in the summer of 2000. Now, those are some of the column, the, the positives of the big sort of developments. There's also the company starts to experience 
huge amounts of fraud and credit card chargebacks, so it loses loses money. Um, there is uh, there are some complicated leadership transitions and some battles at the top around things like the name. But but more precisely to your question, there is a debate about technological architecture. And, you know, there's a little bit of background needed on this, which is there was a kind of long simmering, you know, Internet dispute about whether Windows systems were superior or Linux based systems were superior. And when X.com was first created, it was created on a Windows based system. And when Infinity first created PayPal, it was built atop a Linux system. And these systems have a tough time fusing together. And there's a decision made to re-architect the PayPal.com Linux-based site onto a Windows-based system. And this causes uh, a schism in the ranks, let's say, right? And it causes a lot of, of uh, difficulty and consternation. You have senior people who flirt with the idea of quitting the company, who think that you know their days are numbered. On the other side, you have people who say, hey, this is the only thing that makes sense because we need a stable system and paypal.com is going down once a week for hours and we're having to stay up all night to fix it. So it, I, I want to paint the picture of there's not one thing that the company is dealing with in the summer of 2000. It's like seven very consequential things, right? You have, you've built your success on a third party platform called eBay. So you have eBay attacking the company. You have credit card companies who are saying, wait, you're using credit cards on paypal.com and you're underwriting, you know, other people's transactions. Isn't that, aren't you sort of a, a master merchant? Aren't you doing what we're supposed to do? You have fraudsters who say, hey, these guys are giving out 10 and $20 bonuses. This is a gold mine. We've got to go and use this and, and take, take advantage of this. And you have these two teams who are rapidly growing with you know, li relatively limited experience in this space, particularly at the top, you don't have like, you know, decades and decades of, of call it company history, let's say, right? These are companies that didn't even exist a year prior to that moment. And so you have all of this happening all at the same time. And it leads to some, you know, tension at the top uh, and, and some changes in the company vision. Yeah. Uh Extremely interesting. And in the book, of course, people are going to find uh, a lot of other stories that uh, I don't want to spoil, but uh, are, you know, between the, the, the drama and the fun, because uh, uh, some of those stories are just, uh, just incredible about the deal. Uh, also, um, let's say when Musk and Thiel were, go were, were going to the, to the meeting where they were about to seal the the deal between the companies, there's something. There's one thing interesting that happens, but you know people can look at it in in the book, and also the way the negotiation was eventually went through, pretty interesting because there were a few turns of event that actually were were about to kill the merger between Confinity and X.com. So it was not a smooth one at all. Um, but there was an interesting turn of event. And then also there, as you said, uh, there are many near-death experiences that uh, happened, uh, which uh, were about to, to kill the, the, the new formed company. So it, it was not like, you know, this uh, new formed company finally uh, managed to, to give, uh, uh, you know, uh, safety to, to, to the team. Instead, they kept going through many near-death experiences. 
And uh, even though that this funding round, which saved them from the from the uh, burst of uh, dot-com bubble, yet they had to go through a lot of uh, problems. And the main one, of course, was that they were keep uh, the the main growth channel was the eBay platform. So they sort of were working as if as if they were a third-party sort of application on top of the platform, and they were uh, enabled to do that until eBay would actually uh, could actually decide to shut them down, which, as we'll see, it did happen but um, one key point uh, a couple of key points one it's about uh, as you said even though when they merged up uh, the the two philosophies even though they they merged up eventually in good terms the the two philosophies uh, came about because it was not just a technical problem the underlying platform was what uh, were was the foundation of the whole service so uh, the difference between musk which uh, went for uh, the uh, microsoft enterprise tools was a much more uh, entrepreneurial, uh, let's say, approach where he recognized the stability of the platform and the importance to use simple tools so that uh, the, code ba the code base could be reduced. And then on the other side, you have like the more, uh, let's say, uh, philosophical approach of uh, Lepchin, which says uh, Linux is an open source uh, solution. It's superior it's just because, not just because it's open source, of course, uh, the, the, there was much more to it, but the problem is by developing on top of the open source, the code base was also much more uh, disorganized, uh, much more complex to handle, I guess, at scale. And those two philosophies uh, came at clash and uh, was one of the reasons why there was eventually, the, as we see, the, 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 the host of uh, Musk as a, as a CEO. But before we get to that, uh, there is one key interesting aspect. Both companies... Uh, built out the playbook, the business playbook of internet companies because they managed to grow virally. What did they do? Like, uh, can you elaborate on uh, the kind of strategies that they used to actually exponentially grow the user base? Yeah, it's, um, it's what I think is one of the, the most interesting parts of the PayPal story is the idea that we take for granted today of viral growth, right? So viral growth is this like commonly used term and in many ways, as you described, the, the rudiments or the template for this was built in 1999 and 2000 with these two startups on University Avenue. So there's a few ways that they managed to take advantage of the fact that they have traction on eBay. There, and I'll talk through some of them. One, of, one is, is very simple, which is they use bonus payments, right? And so for Confinity's PayPal, if I... I can send you $10, and if you sign up for PayPal, I will get another $10, meaning I have incented both sides of all sides of this behavior. It's not just that I can send you $10, you accept it, and we call it a day. It's that I actually benefit from when you decide that you're going to finish your signing up, right? It's and again, some of this is good. Yeah, so yeah, really to set an incentive. And, and there's a way in which it seems so basic to us, but it, this, this did take a certain amount of, call it ingenuity and also bravado, because they are giving money out on the internet at a time of dial-up modems and limited experience with digital finance for most customers. One person jokingly called it the largest transfer of venture capital money to college students in human history, right? Because you had all these college students signing up and taking advantage of the fact that they could get all their friends to sign up and if 10 friends signed up, they were suddenly $100 richer, right? On eBay, the way this works is you have businesses 
using referral links to sign up users and every single transaction, suddenly the margins change, right? So if I'm buying a $5 tchotchke on eBay and you're giving me $10, right? I, I just made $5 for buying something, right? Exclusive of shipping costs and everything else. So they, they use bonuses in a really interesting way, in an inventive way, and in a way that actually goes beyond, you know, just the standard bank model of giving someone a toaster. Um, because it's, it's not as though once I accept the toaster, the bank is getting another toaster, right? They went a, a step further and they were, you know, they were always assessing and analyzing. Sometimes they would change the bonus incentives. So, you know, uh, the Confinity guys were really nervous that X.com's bonus was twice the size of theirs. So Elon was giving away $20 instead of 10. Um, so there's this incentive piece. The second thing they do is they get obsessed with taking advantage of the early sparks on eBay and they build tools that specifically cater to eBay power sellers, which are kind of the core eBay community of people listing auctions. So they just start building, relent I mean, relentlessly, just building tools to scrape eBay web pages to understand where PayPal is being used, to help eBay buyers insert PayPal logos. They develop at one point a technology called Autolink, where if if a, if a seller is interacting with a buyer and the buyer has used PayPal even once, the PayPal button will show up on that seller's page, right? I mean, they do all kinds of things to simply goose the growth that they're already seeing and to make it essentially seamless for eBay sellers to use PayPal. And I will tell you, I interviewed a few people who were sellers on eBay and looked at a lot of documents and message board posts and other things from this era. And one of the things that comes back is sellers were always impressed by how quickly the company would create a tool or solve a problem once there was a complaint. And I, I spoke to some people who worked at PayPal's Omaha customer service headquarters. And it was actually one of the things that even impressed them. They said, you know, we would send something to Palo Alto and it would be changed or fixed by the next day. And you can imagine this caused obviously enormous stress, long hours, but what it did was it endeared them to this power seller community. So it wasn't just that they stumbled on eBay, got lucky, called it a day. It was actually that once they noticed this first set of sparks on eBay, they started to do everything they could to increase that fire. Um, the, the last thing I would say is there's a, a, a quality of it within the company of pushing every limit you could right up to legal limits, if that makes sense. Meaning, sure, the credit card companies are gonna be unhappy. Let's push right up until we can't anymore and we'll continue to do what we can to service our user base and focus on the users and the product while treating other rules as fungible. Um, th there's just a series of innovations that PayPal has to do to deal with fraud, for example, that might've sunk any other company, but there is a particular focus on this group of like, just pushing those limits as far as we can, and then we will fix what we need to fix later. And so I don't know what word might capture that quality, it's part of why the virality is not an accident. It's not an equation that someone plugged into a spreadsheet. It was the product of a lot of hard work that occurred in late 1999 and in 2000 to manage this and grow these initial sparks on eBay. Yeah, uh, extremely important point to emphasize. They managed to build a playbook, a business playbook, which is still today the playbook of uh, startups on the internet, when many of those disciplines uh, didn't even uh, you know, exist yet. So they managed to build uh, viral marketing uh, built into the product. 
what today we will call like uh, agile software development, the lean startup methodology, uh, growth tagging, blitz scaling. I mean, many business frameworks that today we uh, give for granted that more or less everyone in the business world, uh, online business world, the digital business world knows were developed uh, at the time uh, of uh, PayPal. So again, uh, just to emphasize a little bit more, um, viral marketing where you built uh, where you build virality into the product the product was a freemium when freemium would become a, a, you know a, a court term between like the uh, late 2000 so like between like 2005 2006 uh, the the uh, agile, agile methodology where it, as you said when you start building up on on ebay and you see that uh, some strategies are working out is not just a random a success you are doubling down on that so it means that you're looking at the data over and over again so you are iterating it is an iterative approach which uh, it's uh, typical of uh, agile development and then lean startup where really there is a loop in place that is based on what's working and you keep uh, building on that and growth tagging where you sort of uh, uh, let's say uh, break down the, the 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 walls between product development and distribution meaning that the product is what gives you distribution and that was like a fixation there was like a, a really something that uh, the, the 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 paypal team uh, thought about a lot and peter Thiel also wrote a book about that which is at zero to one and then of course blitz scaling which is the the term that was coined by reed hoffman founder of linkedin uh, which whether you like or not the concept, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding around it. Uh, what it means is, uh, is that in times of wars, uh, and especially when you're developing a new market, you need to really prioritize on speed over everything else. Because uh, most probably in a few months, if you don't do that, you're going to be dead. So if you're put in the corner, either you uh, you you go to war and you blitz scale, or actually you're going to be dead. So those are very critical points, I think, uh, uh, to emphasize and thanks for uh, making me think about uh, those. Uh, no, those... and you know, you couldn't, I, I couldn't have summarized it better than you just did. And I think what's interesting is part of the value in coming at this story as somebody who is not in tech and doesn't have the same familiarity with that language is I was looking at these things as events. And then I would go and I would research the origin of a phrase like pre freemium, right? Mm -hmm. And, it, and, and I sort of discovered like, well, this was exactly the, the, the work and thinking around the freemium model was happening at PayPal, but they didn't have the word freemium to call it, right? Um, I would go and look at the way they organize their tech team into small units that could make changes on their own with just two or three people. And it turned out that, you know, agile software development, the, the first uh, book version of that thinking like came out like a year or two later, right? So it's an interesting, it's interesting that we came at this from, from both sides PayPal does pioneer a lot of these features, but it's not like they're sitting around thinking like, what are we going to call this methodology that we just created? What they're doing is, oh my God, we're losing $12.5 million every month. We've got to figure out how to fix this. We've got to move very quickly. It's going to take X, Y, and Z. And then these things become principles that apply obviously in other, other contexts. But you're absolutely right that a lot of this style of work uh, came into being during this period. And, and I would say part of the reason it came into being is because the money dried up in Silicon Valley. Like yeah. one of the things that I think is so easy to forget is that in the year 2000, once they closed that nine figure round, there's not going to be another nine figure round for a while because you have the collapse of many dot-coms that were very high profile. And you have this kind of what someone who I interviewed called the killing fields, right? Where just all of these companies dried up. 
and and so there is there's a product there's a there's a part of this that is in you know need is the mother of invention like they had to figure out solutions because they felt like if they didn't they were the next pets.com and they were going to go bankrupt and so it's just interesting i i, I find that it's it's useful to hear someone who's more well versed in this describe some of the broader principles because I revert I sort of had to reverse into them meaning understanding the events and then looking up and realizing like wow there was no book on freemium pricing models that David Sachs could have turned to to think about this yeah and uh, in, again interesting uh, also uh, what uh, what you mentioned uh, there was definitely uh, the 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 whole playbook uh, definitely of the the playbook that still we have today was uh, was determined by the dot com bubble no doubt about it because many companies actually had to face uh, near-death experiences and this was not just for for people for instance also huge companies uh, successful companies at the time like for instance amazon uh, were very very close to bankruptcy uh, not many people know that but I, I think like in 2001 i told the story on the blog and on a few articles which i wrote but uh, also amazon was very close to bankruptcy uh, during the bars of uh, the, the dot-com bubble and he managed to get a financing deal uh, which uh, um, gave it the 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 run the the really the liquidity to survive uh, those uh, those months but once they passed through this period they had to change the playbook altogether for instance in the case of amazon amazon has had to transition from an e-commerce to a platform business model, which is something completely different. So from a company who sold uh, products on the, on the internet to a company who hosted the third-party sellers on the internet. And this changed the whole business because they had to think in terms of platform, they had to think in, in terms of how do we actually create the underlying infrastructure, which would later become AWS in 2004, 2005, to host those, uh, those stores. And this is extremely important. And as you said, the lessons uh, of uh, many... Uh, there were a couple of huge, there were like many, many bankruptcies, but there were like two huge um, failures that uh, were a key lessons, I think, for many of the startups during that period, but also later on. One was, of course, uh, Webvan, was, uh, which uh, had the ambition to bring uh, grocery uh, online, which is something that has become viable throughout the 2010 and still now throughout the pandemic where like company worth billions would be built on top of last mile delivery, like Instacart, for instance. Uh, but uh, one was Webban, which uh, had uh, this ambitious uh, business plan and this ambitious uh, vision. They thrown money uh, without validating the market, without do doing a lot of iteration, as instead PayPal was doing. And they ended up in a very bad situation where they burned uh, $1 billion of dollars very quickly and they had to shut down. Another example which you mentioned, which I think is very interesting, it's pets.com, which was really the, um, the uh, another key failure that uh, made those companies change uh, business playbook and go toward the agile and all the other methodologies that we know today. Uh, just uh, as a reminder, uh, I was looking in last days, um, like uh, just just in uh, in 2001 pets.com spent a huge sum of money as also mentioned in a super bowl uh, um, uh, event which definitely uh, give them like in, in a few months made the company shut down so those were like key moments for 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 people and the how was the, then the, the later transition from, uh, you know, PayPal and, Confi uh, sorry, Confinity and X.com coming together, uh, Musk getting hosted as a CEO, 
Um, and um, also a little bit, how was the experience of Musk as a CEO? Because uh, I think this is an important point, because in many accounts, uh, at least over the years, and thanks for putting together the book, because you also changed my mind. I had the impression that Musk uh, as a CEO had not been a great experience for uh, those, uh, for the employees or like for the team around him. But uh, from the book, uh, that's not uh, my understanding. And then also, uh, what happened next? Like, uh, how did the, the various CEOs transition uh, from Musk to Thiel? And what happened after that? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I appreciate your, your point about in many of these iterations of the PayPal story or versions of the retelling, uh, Musk was kind of written out. And, and I think that if, if I can offer one, one important thought on this, that I, that I really think is worth emphasizing because it's the easiest thing to miss. You know, there may have been disagreements at the top and there certainly were, and they were disagreements about founder vision, product strategy, technological architecture, naming. These were serious substantive disagreements, right? About everything from, is a company burning through too much money to make these kinds of changes? But I think the thing that people forget about Elon's tenure that I hope comes through in the book is that he was an incredible magnet for talented people who stayed with the company even after he was no longer CEO. So if you just think of a few of the people that Elon was personally responsible for hiring or certainly were hired under his leadership, Jeremy Stoppelman, who goes on to found Yelp, Amy Rowe Clement, who goes on to become, I think, one of the youngest uh, executives at eBay when the company is acquired later, Mm -hmm. Elon hires Roloff Botha fresh out of business school. In fact, Elon tries a few times to hire Roloff Botha. And today, obviously, Roloff steers and stewards the uh, Sequoia Capital and becomes PayPal CFO during this period. On and on, you can, you can name person after person where they joined the company in some measure or perhaps in great measure because Elon really pushed and persuaded, like, I have this vision, we're going to do this thing. And, and I think that's often gotten ignored, you know, that, that you had all these talented people and sure there were some disagreements at the top, but there's no way to ignore his ability to attract talent. And, and I think that that's, I, I would say, by the way, that's true of, of Max and Peter as well, but I think they've kind of gotten credit for that over the years, just the way these stories have been told. And I think that, you know, there's a gentleman named Sanjay Bargava who joins X.com and interviews with Elon and Elon's the one who persuades him to join. And Sanjay comes up with this concept for random deposit that is the way that the company authenticates bank accounts. And it is critical to the company's success. And it's a story that, again, rarely gets told. But part of what rarely gets mentioned is Elon is the one who meets with him, recruits him aggressively, brings him on board, actually hires uh, Anita Bargava, his wife as well, who plays a, a big role in this company, and, and really fights for talent when he spots it and finds it. And so I, I just, you know, I think that's actually really important as an important part of this, because I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to the, to the sort of like, you know, Max versus Elon thing. But, but I would actually also emphasize that even in his departure, Elon was very gracious, but more importantly, a lot of the people that he hired go on to become some of the most consequential figures in this story and then in contemporary Silicon Valley. And, and I think, look, there's plenty of things that are going to be said and written, but I, I feel like it's one of the parts of the story that, that many people missed, but all I had to do was look at the roster of X.com employees who were there early and say to myself, well, yeah, these people came be because of Elon. I mean, they were inspired by him. And I had many engineers tell me that despite the disagreements around Windows and Linux, 
they had joined the company initially because of Elon. So, I, you know, I did want to emphasize that because I don't want people to think like, oh, this is just yet another version of this story that is sort of the, the one side, but not the other. Um, to, your, to your question about what happens. So, you know, Elon is removed from the CEO position. He remains a member of the board and the company's largest shareholder. The company announces that it's going to do a CEO search <laughs> and they go through this sort of six month period where they're interviewing CEOs. And this is a very, it's a very funny process when it's described to me by others, because basically a number of the key people in the company had, had decided in their minds that they wanted Peter to be CEO, but they were going to do these fictitious job interviews with other CEO candidates. Eventually, uh, the company, the, the company, the board decides that it's going to drop what is the interim title from Peter Thiel's title, because he was interim CEO after Elon. They drop the interim title and he becomes uh, the CEO of, of PayPal. And he is the, the person who is running the company from late 2000 through to its IPO in, uh, in 2002, and then through its sale to eBay in 2002. And, and I don't want to make it seem like once that CEO transition happened, everything was fine. It really wasn't. The company was still burning up money. They still had to fight fraud. They still had to figure out how they were going to get through everything. And I think one of the things people also overlook is right in the middle of all of that convulsion, September 11th happens, right? So this team actually experiences September 11th together. And one of the things that I, every person I interviewed, you know, 200 plus people, I would ask them about their memories of September 11th. And as for any of us, it was a, a jarring, searing day. And so you have all of that and you have the markets are kind of whipsawing during this whole period. Tech is you know, the, the sort of the world is down on technology. And so in all of that, that's actually what um, it provides useful context for how hard these years were. You know, one of the things that I joke about in the introduction is it's really only two years that pass from the merger of X.com and Confinity to the IPO on the NASDAQ. And in those two years, these people feel like they've lived, you know, 10 lives. Um, but that is how the story develops in late 2000. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the experience burned out many, many of them. I, I would like to emphasize a couple of points, which I think are extremely important. One, as uh, Musk was uh, hosted, uh, he had uh, uh, very, uh, nonetheless, the, the details, which people can see in the book, he had a very, um, you know, a, a eventually a gracious, uh, let's say, um, uh, it was fine about, about that at the end. And uh, how much, uh, I guess, of that um, shaped, um, I mean, how much of that was shaped by the admiration that Musk had for jobs, I wonder. And um, also, how much of it also shaped the, the Musk of the, the later years? Because I would like to remember also for, you know, people that would be listening, that also when Musk uh, created the Tesla, uh, when it started to develop its distribution strategy, for instance, through uh, the, the building up the retail shops for, for Tesla or to sell the cars online, this was a strategy which would cut out the middleman. But when Musk was building out those stores, actually, he was drawing uh, the lessons from Apple. Indeed, uh, not only that, he also hired the main guy who played a key role in opening up the, the, the Apple stores. And so um, I think over the years and still today, Tesla falls, uh, its strategy is a lot similar to what Apple has done. With the main difference though, that uh, uh, you know a lot of processes were internalized uh, way before by Tesla over the years, uh, I'm talking about especially manufacturing, where instead Apple managed to um, keep that uh, 
uh, as, uh, as uh, externalized, even though very close uh, controlled by, by the company. So uh, was there like a big influence of jobs on uh, mask uh, thinking? You know, I, I have to be careful in providing an important disclaimer, which is I, I didn't, I, I spent time with Elon talking about X.com and about PayPal and about the years from, you know, his collegiate years through 2002. But we didn't really speak much about what happened in his life after 2002 because I, I wasn't there to, to talk about those things. The one place that he did mention um, Steve Jobs was, you know, he, he had a, a view that's, that's elegantly expressed in the book about the value of founder CEOs, of the value of the founder continuing to steer the company. And, you know, he says, it's, it's a great line, you know, the founder may be bizarre, they may be erratic, but this person's a creative force. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is that when Steve Jobs departed Apple, uh, you know, you lost some of that creative force. And when he returned, that creative force returned as well. And, and look, there's like, you know, there's been whole volumes written on the, 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 the sort of that whole section of, of Apple's life. And I am not the expert, but it's the one place where in trying to explain the value of a founder CEO, Elon had mentioned to me the, the thinking around, you know, Apple's renaissance begins when Steve Jobs returns. And there is some value in thinking about that, mm -hmm. the, the role of a founder CEO as something critical, as something set apart, you know, it's, it's part of what influenced me to call the book The Founders, because I think the founding of a company is a, is, a, is a different period from any other. It deserves its own sort of special attention. Um, things get hardened into wet cement at founding that are difficult to dislodge later. But, but broadly speaking, I, I'm not the person to comment about how or whether Apple influenced his thinking about Tesla. What I can say in, is in his meditation, somewhat in the middle of the book, about the value and virtue of founder CEOs. You know, both he and David Sachs speak very eloquently about what a founder brings that others might not. And I don't think they're saying that, you know, I mean, best as I can tell, they're not saying this is true in every case or anything of the sort. They're simply trying to acknowledge that a founder may have a different level of uh, creative insight, of emotional investment, and, and some indefinable quality that they bring to a company. And so there, there was there, that was the context in which we talked about about Apple and about Jobs. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, I would be speaking out of turn if I if I took it any further than yeah. that. Just to leave up uh, for just thirty seconds of uh, speculation, um, do you think you know speaking with Musk many many years after the the fact? Do you think uh, he also left the company with the belief that one day he could have uh, you know come back to, for instance, uh, PayPal and uh, revolutionize the company, bring it to become this financial behemoth that he had in mind? I would say 100% yes. Cool. <laughs> I, think, I think, and I think, look, I think part of the reason is, and let, let's, let's drill into it because it's actually interesting, right? Um, his underlying vision for what X.com would have been is in part re, it's been part upgrading mainframes that are that banks and governments use that are slow that cost customers money and that he felt and still feels to this day should be upgraded i mean it was it was actually a real pleasure to listen to how impassioned he got 
about COBOL code and about how he's like, you know, talking about how these, these ancient mainframes run on this ancient code. It still is unnecessary. We should still fix it. And, and, I, and so I do think that he had this vision that, you know, someone, I think he still believes someone should do this. Someone ought to, ought to do this, you know, but, but, the, but the fact is his earliest collegiate passions were electrical energy and, you know, uh, space and all of its, uh, all the things he's doing there. And so he returned to those. I, the way I describe the ending of his PayPal tenure is it gave him creative breathing room to do these other things. And you can't ever run these experiments twice. So it's not a perfect counterfactual. But, you know, I, in some ways, I think the world has benefited from the fact that he was not the, the CEO of, of PayPal, you know, from late 2000 on because uh, he's applied his work ethic and his, his vision into other domains. And, you know, that, that I, I would, that's where I netted out on it and what I gathered from all of my discussions with different people who are at the heart of the, heart of the story, but also being able to observe it from a critical distance, you know, someone had said, uh, an engineer, Scott Alexander had said, Jobs made Pixar great because he was fired from Apple. Mm -hmm. And Elon was able to create SpaceX and make Tesla great because he departed X.com. And so those aren't my, that's not even my assessment. It's the assessment of somebody who thinks very highly of him and who was an X.com you know, he was a very early engineer at X.com and his perspective was, you know, maybe it was a good thing for the world that these, that, uh, that it happened, that things played out the way they did. Hmm. Interesting, interesting point. And, uh, I know our time is almost due. I'm not sure how long you can, uh, you can stay, but, uh, let's, let's keep going. This is, this is fun. <laughs> and you're, you, it's fun to engage with somebody. Again, I just really appreciate the time you took to dive into this, but then the context that you have, you know, I, I found a lot of things about, not just this company, but about late 1990s and mid 1990s internet companies that was engaging to learn about. I spent a lot yeah. of time studying the Amazon history in order to understand some of this, but it, it's good to, uh, so let's just, let's just keep rolling because this yeah. is fun. Nice. Okay, so uh, how did uh, we eventually go? Because for a little bit of recap here, we had uh, two companies starting uh, on the on the uh, let's say on the payment side of uh, on the on the internet, which was not even the main uh, killer application yet. They were, if uh, if we can uh, probably uh, say here, they, they were still too early uh, because uh, other markets would uh, prove to be killer applications on the internet. One of those was auction auction, even though they, those companies uh, was hard to. Uh, to acknowledge uh, it also for for uh, for what would later become PayPal, but uh, the interesting part is that eventually uh, they managed to uh, really survive. Uh, but um, how did they uh, did they eventually uh, go from uh, two separated company who were working on two different use cases in the mobile in the mobile payment uh, on the internet payment industry? They merged together after many near-death experiences. They keep growing the, the company while hosting various CEOs. And uh, how did they eventually manage to actually um, merge with uh, with the eBay? What happened? What were some of the key events that uh, brought uh, to this uh, uh, to, to to this deal? Yeah, you know, if there wasn't one crisis, there were there were five. And for for eBay, you know, PayPal is not a a welcome contribution to their their uh, their platform. They are a nuisance. So imagine that you run a, a store and another company runs your cash registers. 
right? And, and does so quite well and earns the loyalty of your users. So the way this begins is, you know, obviously PayPal, Confinity's PayPal and X.com have success on eBay. That success continues. eBay power sellers are excited about PayPal. They use it. It grows there. The companies obviously juice that growth through different techniques. Over time, you know, they develop an inter interdependent relationship, meaning eBay was put in the position of, we can't just shut PayPal down because they help us close transactions. And PayPal, you know, anywhere from at any given time, 50 to 90% of their payment volume was coming from eBay, right? So, so they have this, this challenge of they're both dependent on one another in some meaningful way. In 2002, the comp eBay, by the way, makes several attempts to acquire PayPal. Uh, these acquisitions are always complicated. They don't quite work out as planned. The prices change. There's egos involved. There's tension, drama. In 2002, PayPal goes public. Uh, actually, the 20th anniversary of that IPO is in about three weeks. It's February 15th. Um, so they go public. And after they go public, there's a clear price set for the company. It's always hard to evaluate what the value of a, of a private company is, but with public companies, you have a share price and you have a total number of shares. So it, it allows for the renewal of negotiations with a clear mark. Uh, and what happens is that you have these sort of two individuals who really, uh, both behind the scenes and in, in front of the scenes, help to push the negotiation forward. And that is David Sachs and, and eBay's Jeff Jordan. And they, they meet at a, at a particularly evocative moment, which is this eBay Live conference that happens in 2002. PayPal kind of invades this conference. They give out a bunch of PayPal t-shirts. PayPal t-shirts are everywhere. It sort of annoys and rankles some of the, the eBay folks, but they are impressed by the hustle. And Jeff and David say, hey, this is we're now competing on t-shirts, like not just on payment systems. So let's figure out a way to make this work. There's negotiation that still needs to happen. There's still tension, but the in July of 2002, uh, it's announced that eBay is going to acquire PayPal and that PayPal will become a wholly owned subsidiary of eBay. And there are a number of reasons why the board votes in favor of this deal after, again, years of negotiations and different kinds of back and forth. But the principal one, is, is risk mitigation. Um, there's just a lot of risk with PayPal depending so heavily on eBay for its payment volume, and they don't know what's gonna happen. And so there's a way in which, you know, the competitive pressures are significant. They always feel like they're on shifting terrain. And, you know, as several employees said to me, they were like, look, we stopped, we were tired. Like we had been fighting this fight for so long and it felt like we were just continuing to fight as opposed to creating value. And that level of exhaustion, as, as one board member put it, you know, you, you sort of, you can't continue to expect people to work at, with that for years and years. And so the company, you know, the, the announcement is made in July, the deal is formally closed in October and PayPal becomes a wholly owned subsidiary of eBay Incorporated. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the, the various highlights of uh, the, the events that uh, uh, brought us here, of course, um, uh, we, we, we went from like two companies merging, which were Confinity and X.com becoming PayPal, then PayPal uh, merging with the eBay. eBay, who on its side, actually um, tried to, as you said, to uh, actually kill PayPal in various ways uh, by competing, uh, out-competing it. But um, 
also it uh, owned like a, a payment uh, system called billpoint but he didn't manage to be successful as they wanted uh, also PayPal, uh, like eBay, never really shut down PayPal, even though they could have done it. Uh, was there any reasons why they didn't do it? Uh, was there any particular pressure on eBay not to do that? Yeah, there were, there were a few different kinds of pressure. Um, that I'll sort of talk through, through a few of them. You know, the first is eBay users like PayPal. <laughs> so, so you have the situation where if you run a platform and the, the you know, you have this vocal group of users, and they were very vocal, who would, who were defending PayPal and saying, "Look, they're they're a great service. They do this, they do that, and they're better than the eBay homegrown service uh, bill point." Like, we don't want to lose PayPal. We're your users, and we're telling you we want to stick with PayPal. Um, the other the other thing is, uh, from a practical perspective, you know, it was explained to me that, look, even if if they shut down PayPal, what pay, what eBay would have done is also shut down thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of transaction fees that were being paid to them, right? And so it was actually not, uh, the way I described it in the book is it's not, it's not homicide, it's suicide, right? Like you, you actually have decided to cut off your own, like you're gonna have to figure out how to do payments and your users are not gonna be happy, but you're gonna lose a certain amount of revenue if you just turn PayPal off straight away. I think in the early days, by the way, I think in late 99 or early, maybe even early 2000, eBay may have been able to flip the switch in that way, but mm. its users had already gone rogue in some sense. And they were paying by checks and money orders and cash and this and that and the other thing. And PayPal fulfilled this master merchant credit card function in the middle that nobody had figured out. And so that, that's a part of it. And then I would say the final thing, and it's, it's a minor threat, but it's certainly a threat that the PayPal people try to play up, which is, there was a, a shadow in the air of technology was the antitrust suit against Microsoft. And so this idea that anything that smacked of anti-competitive behavior was not going to play well in the press. And eBay, by this point, is a public company. You know, that's another thing people forget is when PayPal is getting started, they're a startup. They're, and when they nest within eBay's platform, eBay is a publicly traded company subject to rules and regs and gets a lot of press attention. The press attention that was directed toward Microsoft during this period was was not a good experience for them. And it was around antitrust and anti-competitive behavior. So what PayPal would do is it would send signals anytime eBay flirted with the idea of shutting the service down or made aggressive motions, you know, they would sort of send these little notes of like, well, you know, make sure this doesn't, this could be construed as anti-competitive behavior. And, you know, we don't want that. And so there were a little bit of that. Now, I would say that in looking back at the history, that's really not the thing that led eBay not to shut the service down. It was simply more practical, which is its users use the service and transactions were completed because of the service. And so the antitrust stuff by, you know, five, 10% concern, maybe it wasn't that significant, at least has been communicated to me by, by people who worked at eBay at the time. Yeah. Key point. Yeah. I, I think, uh, um, as you said, like, uh, if you have a product that the users love, it's very hard to, to shut down. And then it's very important to understand the context for people that are listening. There was the time of the, uh, you know, uh, 
late 90s when uh, there was uh, the, the browser wars where Microsoft had waken up uh, during 1996 as Netscape had taken over the, the, the browser's um, you know, uh, market. And uh, it was about to become the next uh, internet platform. But Mark Andreessen, which was one of the co-founders of, Net of Netscape, also awakened uh, uh, Microsoft when uh, on an interesting cover, I think in 1996 uh, time, he, he said that it's probably something along the lines of uh, we're going to kill Microsoft. And this definitely uh, awakened uh, Bill Gates who on the, uh, on the strategic side, he decided that the main battle to the main war to win was that against browsers. And then is when actually Microsoft started to bundle in its uh, office package, the, the Internet Explorer and uh, steal uh, market shares from uh, from Netscape. On the other side, Microsoft also closed deals with AOL just to kill uh, quickly uh, Netscape. I mean, there, there were many interesting turns of events. It's very important to understand also the context that uh, public companies, tech companies at the time were very scared to to um, be into an anti-monopolistic situation. And as you said, sometimes also um, uh, smart executives from PayPal used this strategy to actually say, uh, you know, to, to as, as, a, as a threatening strategy against eBay to say, you know, uh, avoid, uh, to, to avoid, to fall into, into this practice. And of course, uh, I think the, the strongest uh, foundation was the, the, the fact that PayPal was so much successful on, the, on eBay as a platform. And uh, after that, um, um how was the, the integration i mean because the 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 main story is uh people went in uh um you know there was the merger with ebay of course uh, as you said a key point to understand is that uh, people uh, leveraged uh, its the negotiation posi position when it uh, ipo'd and with the ipo uh, actually it put the price uh, on uh, its valuation which was unquestionable because it was a price given by the market which at the time was about 1.3, 1.4 billion, and therefore the transaction eventually closed at about 1.5 billion. Um, but uh, the, the main story as it goes is that there was, uh, many business people says it, uh, say in this way that there was uh, uh, really a sort of uh, um, all the people, people left eBay in a, in a few months. But in the book, you explain a different story. There, there were like two, uh, two kind of people. There were like, uh, yes, executives from PayPal, but then there was like, there, there were like employees, also very important uh, senior employees, which uh, managed to stay at uh, eBay. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I was glad for the chance to somewhat correct the record. Right, so there are several high-profile people who are at the top who leave the company after, shortly after the acquisition by eBay in late 2000. So people like Max Levchin and David Sachs and Peter Thiel definitely depart. There are a variety of reasons, personal and otherwise, for that. Uh, they, you know, they wanted to go do other things. They had other passions. Uh, Max starts to explore the academic track for a brief period. Um, but one of the things that that gave rise to is this uh, the false narrative that that eBay lost everybody, lost all the most talented people, which is just not true. There are so many people who worked at PayPal who stayed with eBay for anywhere from one year to, you know, there are still employees at PayPal or eBay today who were there from these early days. And there are any number of reasons they stayed. And part of what happened is that these employees all had the experience of what it was like to really go through the acquisition, to continue to work on a larger team, to 
learn about new products, tools, and services, to have access to things like management training. And so I, I was, I wanted to tell the story because it had never really been covered that some of Silicon Valley's most important people, you know, today, CEOs of major household name companies stayed after the, the acquisition, in some cases thrived at eBay. And there were cultural hiccups to be sure. And I document those as well. But I think the idea that, that oh, it was just this mass exodus and everybody talented left, that's just not true. Um, and there are countless examples you can point to. And, and I think it's important to, to, to emphasize those because you know, part, of, part of what you look back in, in hindsight at the, all this is eventually eBay took PayPal and spun it back out and had another IPO and it did quite well for the amount of money that they invested at the at the at the outset, and and I think you know there's always this sort of revisionist history around whether eBay handled the integration well or didn't handle it well. And I think I heard you know a, a decent number of stories that lead me to believe that it wasn't the best integration. But what I wanted to make sure people understood is that it wasn't as though 220 pre-IPO PayPal employees suddenly left and turned out the lights and just handed the platform over to eBay. You had a whole generation of super talented people who joined eBay from, let's say, you know, one year or five years, and then went off and did, did their own things or didn't. Um, and I, I, I'm glad for the chance to actually explore some of that, because, again, you get the sort of exodus of the highest, highest profile people uh, without this real acknowledgement that, no, a bunch of people stayed, did good careers. eBay was a, was a great place for, the, for many of them to work, depending on the team they were on. And then many of them went on to go do other things and create other ventures. Yeah, that's a, a very important point to to stress out. So, um, as you said, the some of the there, there was like the executives they left because they had managed to actually achieve in part their sort of mission, and they actually left also because they wanted to start something on their own. The other point is also very interesting on the fact that uh, I think it's also about uh, time windows, like windows of opportunity, meaning that. Um, there was a time in which auction and e-commerce were extremely, uh, you know, were um, the most important applications on the internet, and they are still are, to, uh, still, are uh, still are today. But there was then a time window, especially going uh, in the 2010 going forward, where um, internet payments become extremely important, and therefore people. Uh, um, eventually uh, ended up being uh, larger than eBay. So uh, eBay initially didn't want to, sh uh, to, to span off the company. Uh, this thing uh, dragged off until like uh, 2014 when eventually eBay uh, you know, spun off the company. And uh, for a bit of context, uh, as of today, when we look at the market capitalization, of course, there was a huge sell-off uh, since uh, October of 2021, but uh, the capitalization in um, February, um, in uh, January 2021, 2022, sorry, for PayPal, it's uh, 185 billions, and uh, for eBay, it's uh, 36 uh, billions. So it's interesting to look at that uh, PayPal be became many times over uh, eBay. And that's also because, again, payment on the internet finally became viable. Not only that, it uh, uh, with mobile became way, way bigger as a market. So the market opportunity became uh, way much bigger than uh, auctioning. And um, so I think this is also very important. And another, uh, let's uh, let's finish this up uh, then with, uh, um, with some of the key people uh, that uh, uh, really uh, were um, the, the main factor in the PayPal success. Who were some of those people? And what did they do next? Yeah, you know, it's... It's sort of hard to isolate the list <laughs> in a way because, you know, as I think 
hopefully comes across in the book, uh, there's a tendency to take the, the wins from PayPal and put them at the feet or, or ascribe them to just a few people. But you know, there's a broad range of people who make this company successful. And it's everyone from you know, people who wrote code to people who fought fraud to, to everything. Um, I think you know, what, what happens with this group, and that's sort of your, at the heart of your question is kind of what happens with this group. And one of the descriptions that was given to me by, by Peter Thiel was, you know, we, these people, and I think he said some ver version of this in other places, we, we all learned that doing an internet business was hard but doable, meaning if it had been an easy success, we might have learned the wrong lessons. And if it had been uh, hard and we failed, we might have learned that something like this is not possible. But we kind of learned, as he put it, the right lessons, which is uh, you, you, this is going to be very hard, but you can be successful. And so obviously the, the alumni from this group have gone on to do any number of things. Uh, and to this day, they are continuing to create, to innovate, to build companies and fund companies. And, you know, I think, I think obviously like a lot of your listeners probably pay attention to their, their present day exploits more than they maybe pay attention to those PayPal years. But I, I found some real, you know, I found a lot of what they've brought to those other industries, the, the energy, the ambition, the focus on product, the focus on product distribution, the, the small the ethos of a small team that can go into an industry that you don't know anything about and change it from the ground up. You know, a lot of that you, you discover it at, during the PayPal years. And for particularly, I would say for the younger folks for whom this was either their first job out of college or the job just after their first job out of college. You know, I had someone tell me something like, I just didn't know that things were supposed to be any different, <laughs> right? So this was the sum total of my professional experience was this crazy company where we were taking on the banks and taking on so-and-so. And, and so I think that's, you know, I, focusing on individual names, it, it, you know, the readers will know the individual names and what they've gone on to do. But I think my thesis is that this created a cast of mind in the same way that any intense four to five year experience will create a way you do things for the rest of your life, right? Whether that's college or the military, this was that for this generation of people. And it came at a time when dot, dot coms, it started when dot coms were, you know, they were the hottest thing. And it happened through a period where people said the internet was just a fad. And they emerged on the other side of that as true believers in technology who had seen a product succeed and had managed to build that into a public company and then have it acquired by a bigger public company. And, and so there's a way in which the lesson that they took was, well, you can do this. You don't have to know everything about chargebacks or about person-to-person -person payments. You can figure it out as you go along. And I think that ethic has actually been brought forward to uh, other companies and domains as well. Yeah. And, and of course, like in the group of people that, uh, you know, made uh, PayPal successful, this was made of uh, incredible men and women who actually made uh, this uh, company possible in the first place. And actually were also people that followed the Minko founders to create many other interesting uh, projects as people will see in the, in the book. So um, Jimmy, thanks a lot for uh, this conversation. I hope that uh, in the future uh, or in the coming weeks, we can have probably another conversation about the Bell Labs, which to me, it's, uh, uh, it's also another interesting topic. So look at the innovation, how it worked uh, way before then in the internet uh, happened. So there will be an interesting conversation as well. Yeah, and I, you know, for that one, I might send you to my friend, John Gertner, who wrote a book called The Idea Factory, which everyone should read, nice. uh, which is a really great look at Bell Labs. And, and it's, it's an amazing 
amazing place in the same way that that PayPal is and just the people they attracted and what they learned there. Yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. Thanks a lot for uh, joining me, Jimmy. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you for taking so much time to do this. Absolutely.